From Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in Wise, Minneapolis, this is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Arthur Croy, I too make nice games. In this episode, we talk with Chris Totten to discuss teaching game development to young people again. And so, if everyone is ready, let's start. Part two. Yeah, part two. Sort of. <laughs> part two of something that we didn't realize was a series until now. <laughs> yeah. Well, our guest from last week, uh, Truman, yes. um, on, the, on the way out the door, uh, the virtual door in the virtual clubhouse, he says, oh, you're having Chris on next. He's good people. Yeah. <laughs> he says hi. <laughs> Hello, Truman. <laughs> um. So we're, we're glad to have you on, Chris. Can you uh, introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit. Tell the listeners about yourself. Mom. I'm Chris Totten. I teach game development at Kent State University uh, in Northeast Ohio um, in our animation game design program, which is based on our Tuscarawas County campus. Um, but it is taught at the Stark County campus and also at the uh, Kent campus. Uh up in Kent, Ohio, uh, which is the one I live near. Um, so I've been making games since about 2006 and kind of industry adjacent slash in the industry. I don't really know when that transition officially, officially happens. I guess it depends on who you ask sometimes. Um, yeah. About 2010. And um, I... So I, I see on the little script, it says, how did you find yourself here? Um, I have a degree in architecture and I got out of cool. grad school. Yeah, I got out of grad school when nobody was building anything. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's exactly. Professor is no joke. Just in our practice management class was like, you're all getting out at the worst time. Oh, oh God. Oh, no. uh, we're like, Sweet. <laughs> Sweet. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I got out uh, uh, when nobody was building anything, uh, but I had skills with 3D art. And I also um, had been making games like kind of as a hobby in college. Uh, a buddy of mine from who is in computer science was like, hey, let's make games together. So uh, we made games. Um, and then, you know, I got a job teaching people 3d art for games um and you know fast forward i you know am still doing that but at a different program that's awesome and it's interesting to see that you know trajectory um i went into you know when i before i started making games i went into school for mechanical engineering so like we kind of not exactly have the same path but sort of the same path I didn't end up graduating, but <laughs> I, it, 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 there's there's some similar um, there's some similarities between. That yeah, it's sort of like you realized very quickly. Yeah, that it was time to pivot. Well, no, I didn't realize it quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, quickly after leaving, let's say. <laughs> yeah, after leaving, after trying it again and leaving. Yeah. Well, here Ellen and I are with our English degrees, where <laughs> you have to pivot to something real. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> well, I went to school for teaching. Well, okay, so that and so I went yeah. further afield, I guess. <laughs> well, I just there, I, you know, graduating in two thousand nine was not a good time for anybody right. given the recession. So, 
Um, I did have to go slightly further afield to find a teaching job than I wanted to, but then it turns out I didn't want to stay in teaching. So whatever. <laughs> well, and like, you know, it, it was so funny. I was, um, years ago when I, so I, I taught in a program that was really heavily into serious games for a while. And, mm-hmm. um, a few, cause I used to live in Washington, DC. Um, okay. but now I'm back where I'm from, which is Ohio, uh, which is nice. Cause then, you know, my kids can visit grandma and grandpa and all that fun stuff. Um, yeah. but you know, I remember being at this seminar where I was just brought in as like the, the game design guy is like, sometimes game design people are brought in as, and, um, they had me like describe how, you know, we use game design to like teach and empower people to do stuff. And I explained it and they were like, that's just curriculum design. I'm like, "Uh Um, (laughs) uh-huh. So, you know, like I, I think games and teaching are very closely linked. And like, there are times when I've let my students kind of behind the curtain and I've been like, you realize I just game design your syllabus. Right. And not even like it's super explicitly a game. More so that it's like, I know how to use mechanisms and like patterns and point based systems to incentivize mm-hmm. behaviors. Uh-huh. I can do that for education and like teach them good game development habits. Um, yep. Yep. And then they realize that I've done that and they're like, ah. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of interesting because like you came out of. Um, you know, out of college, and in your your professor was like, "Oh, you're gonna have a hard time," but now you're teaching students. I hope you're (laughs) making. Yeah, what hard truths are you dropping on them on graduation day? (laughs) Some of my professors are like, "Yes, one of us, one of us." (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and uh, especially since I've become tenure track, um, that has been kind of like a fun experience you know, talking with some of my old professors about some of those trials and tribulations, um, you know, beyond just like the teaching itself, but then also the aspect of it where it's like, I have to produce work I have, which I think really is great for game development, because I think teaching in game development gets kind of a bad rap. Um, mm-hmm. In that, like, everybody thinks we're just like, tighten up the graphics on level three. Um <laughs> which I used to, that was my first teaching job actually was um, teaching at that specific institution. Um, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. Um, no, I, and, and we all had like a good sense of humor about it. Like I, I um, held a tighten up the graphics game jam where it was like, we're going to heavily <laughs> emphasize the game art. And then I made like a vector graphic of those two dudes in the commercial. Um, I need to dive <laughs> But in only level three. <laughs> yeah. drives and see if I can find it. I actually want to get that put on a t-shirt something oh nice oh yeah that'd be cool <laughs> let us know if you find that we'll think it <laughs> so what's so funny about that is it, it it um i mean it's a little example but it's the way it, games can interact with culture and it's a very specific way in a very specific culture but it's kind of a, an exemplar that's true that that's true in a larger scale of all games right right yeah i mean well and that that ended up being kind of what my um academic work is on and it started with my architecture stuff because you know, I, I was when I was doing my architecture thesis, which was on game design. Uh, mm-hmm. I I looked at it and I was like, well, it's interesting because 
there are these design conversations happening about buildings and architecture and, and space and urban design and things like that about how you humans use space. And I was looking at how a lot of those things are very, you can see them in video games and, and in mm-hmm. instances like where, you know, maybe uh, at the time I was um, actually kind of, I was like in touch with a level designer at Valve who used to be an architect and he was explaining like, yeah, we totally do that. Um, yeah. Hmm. Some of these concepts that I was using, you know, I was talking about in my thesis and then that turned into like, once I got out of grad school, I was like, well, I should do something with this. So I started publishing articles and then that turned into um, eventually like a book, uh, okay. level design and architecture. Um, but, you know, so that turned into like this broader thing that I do now, which is look at how games interact with art, the arts and literature and, and things like that, and how you can use games really not just like to adapt these things, but actually as a means to like almost become critical essays themselves. So instead of writing a paper, I'll make a game. Mm-hmm. And then because I'm in academia, I still have to write the paper. then then you know the the um then it makes you know the tenuring committee happy because they have like okay well here's the traditional publication here's the creative work um but it is it is like a really cool at least i think it's really cool um you know it is kind of a fun way to think about culture is to think about it as something that's interpretable through play um or that you know, you can see how games fit in with like, like we've been talking about with architecture and teaching and how people understand concepts, um, you know, how games can really express or tap into or work together with these other these other works, uh, kind of yeah. putting them in the broader cultural context. I got all academic there. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what we're looking for. That's why you're here. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about one of the things that that is a truism about architecture is that it you can't really study it uh, without the context that that's placed in, and Mm -hmm. that's also true of of architecture as a practice. You can't really practice architecture without context. Uh, You know where it's going to be, what its use case is going to be, the environmental factors, and all of that, the human factors, and all that applies to games as well. And I think it's interesting. Uh, when I went to school, uh, when I went to college, I uh, there was uh, I wanted to be a filmmaker, but there was no filmmaking degree, but there was a film studies degree. Mm-hmm. And I got like one course into it before I'm like, this is not for me. I need to be at the application side. But I think I did miss out on some things I could have appreciated by going to, to the critical studies side. And so I, I'm curious as to how you design and 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 teach game de- uh, game development. It, it, because I don't think there's a game studies track at, at most schools. It's usually about the practice, mm-hmm. but you must have a, a balance between those two things to some degree, right? right. Or is it just that the practice, co- the, the, the critical eye comes along with it without having to try that hard? Uh, what is the balance? Um, no, I, and, and actually, like, I'm really glad you asked about this because this is almost like the thing that I was... I was thinking a lot about today in preparation for this mm. podcast because you know when we were talking about like what the topic was going to be and it was you know teaching game design I think a lot of people think teaching game design really is that tighten up the graphics on level three experience or that sort of like well you're good and, and you know I have to kind of beat this drum 
to students because we do get a lot of students coming in um, with this ex- expectation, and it's up to me to help shape them in a in a healthier direction. Um, don't yeah. think that okay, I'm going to take some classes in Unity and I'm going to take some classes in Maya, and then I'm going to go out and I'm going to like go find a job. Um, in, you know, and th- there'll just be jobs out there because that's kind of what people are used to um, in a lot of cases. That both, you know, th- you're going to like learn some, be trained in some skill, and then right. there will just be jobs around, right? Yeah, and mm-hmm. both games are weird because we are this art form that encompasses so many disciplines it's not just that it is its own discipline it's that it's like a a bajillion disciplines that we've kind of like rolled into one chaotic frenzy of activity that somehow produces entertainment Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah that's like some miracle occurs and a game is shipped and then nobody really seems to know how it happened or why um yeah yeah so um trying to kind of like tell them, you know, no, like, yes, you are going to learn these skills, but we have to learn things like production and we have to learn things like um, agile or, or, um, you know, all these other production methods, or you have to like, let's, I realize Maya is giving you fits right now, but let's talk about what it's like talking to a Kickstarter audience, right. Or like yeah. starting your small business. Um, you know, cause like when I listen to you all talk on the podcast, like a lot of what you talk about is that, that sort of like day to day soft skill stuff. Um, and, and I always tell my students, I'm like, oh, my best days are the days when I only have to like sit around in Blender drawing my characters, uh, you know, doing the animations and stuff like that. That's like the best yeah. day mm-hmm. is when I, I'm mm-hmm. bothered with this other stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. You can be purely creative, and you don't have to deal with the administrative and the all the other stuff that support the thing that you practice. Yeah. So there's there's teaching them that balance, and then in terms of the critical thing, I think you're right. There's not really game studies programs. There are some. I I think there should be, um, because you know, like I I go to a school whose architecture school has an architectural studies program and you're not learning to go be an architect doing drawings and and getting your stamp and you know building buildings but you are learning to be a person who um you know maybe is a journalist or maybe you know maybe you do get something else because it's like a liberal arts degree or something like that um Mm -hmm. and i think there are becoming enough other areas where games are applied that i think that could be useful um, you know, I've read games journalism where I'm like, God, I wish this person took a game development class. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like, there's a few time like game developers. know there's a few times where you're like, um, right. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I had a friend who's a game, uh, who's a game journalist who like one time, um, decided like he announced that he was going to make game development simulator uh, the game or game journalism simulator the game and he's like all right i'm gonna go do it i've opened up i've downloaded game maker i'm gonna go do it and he announced it and he's like it's gonna be done in six months and then he disappears for like three weeks he re-emerges on social media and is like i made clouds move everybody i'm like he gets it now. 
yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But right, you're faced with that challenge, but also the little wins. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time, you know, like I'm thinking. I mean, I'm wearing my shirt right now uh, for the video game art gallery. Uh, but like they have, you know, that's they're they're a Chicago-based art gallery that displays like independent video game developer works and um you know they have people intern to like help run or you know help do social media for their uh for their gallery and help put together um copy for their zine and you know there's like a journal that they have attached to them that's a job in game development that's like work in game development or not in game development mm-hmm. but in games like like the cultural aspects of games and then you know, I do a lot of my work with um, museums, like as part of my research, but then kind of as a consulting thing, you know, I've worked with the Smithsonian, I work with a museum near me, the Akron Art Museum. And, um, you know, they're heavily invested in in games, um, both like Smithsonian American Art had the Art of Video Games exhibition 10 years ago now, which is terrifying to think about. Um, <laughs> it was already 10 years ago. But mm. they've been doing like their yearly arcade and that's somebody's job to put that on, um, you know, so uh, which yearly arcade, which I'm happy to say I'm one of the co-founders of. Um, Yay! But, you know, that's that's work in games um, that didn't exist, you know, even a few years ago. So I think that that studies component is helpful. And I think there is actually yeah. like, a place for it now, too. Um, yeah, you did originally ask me, like, how do I balance that? I really just in terms of teaching, it's like, how do you design assignments and curriculum that make students have to make something but thinking about that stuff? Yeah, ah. it's that learn by doing right. It's 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 going to come or else they're not going to have got the lesson. Right. It's yeah. not just about figuring out how the machine works right it's they have to get something else out of it right and, and i always like to say that there's like three my assignment and i tell my students this so there's three levels to my assignments one the top level is like that's the surface level thing that's like do stuff in thing right mm-hmm. that's your like make a maya model make a game and game maker um yeah and then below that is the creative goal do this with narrative do this with art style you know do this like whatever like mental activity, creative activity I want you to have. And then the third one is like, it's actually structured in a way that you are, you must do a good like developer habit. So the way that most of my classes work is like you one week you have a prototype due, the next week you have the play test report of that prototype due and you have to play test it with like a different person every time. Um, that, that kind <laughs> Love of- Love to hear that. Yeah, and that gets them to both do sprints and then, aha, I made you do scrum. And then, <laughs> like, uh, and then also you have to play test and you have to design iteratively. You can't just kind of be like, oh, yeah, I didn't do anything. And then, like, the, r- the last week of the class, you're like, yeah, you know, and <laughs> yeah, your game is not. Good. That's. I, I so I was I was yeah I was really curious as to how you designed the curriculum, but it it really does sound like you're literally just telling people make a game. Then here's that here's the structure in which you make the game. Do it this way. Um, yeah, and I think that's super valuable. 
Yeah, yeah. So, so I, I told listeners in the last episode, and I'll say it again this time. I'm, I'm helping um, design a curriculum for students. These students are, you know, younger. They're like in middle school. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I've been going through the process myself, and like, what are the steps that students should go through um, in order to, you know, build a game? Um, and we've talked about um, different, um, different aspects of development. We're kind of getting to the point now where like. The students are starting to actually make stuff, and now they have to like get to the point where they need to think about what it is they're making. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but I, I, you know, we're not at the we're not at the level of academia, um, you know, where people are going to get a degree in it yet. So it's been sort of an introductory thing, um, and I find it, and I, I find myself thinking about the exact same things that it sounds like you're describing here, Chris, where like you're. You know, you're like, how do I make a game? Here's the things I do. Uh, the student should probably just do this, <laughs> sort of. And it, and it, and it, and I think it. Ultimately, I hope it works for at least for the students I'm helping. Um, and it sounds like it works for your students as well. Well, and like one of the best things is the little discoveries you make that you didn't mm-hmm. like games uh, <laughs> that you didn't. <laughs> um, yeah, so like this. So, so before I had always let our senior capstone class just kind of like, yeah, you know, if you want to work alone, work alone. If you want to work on a team, work on a team. And it was always a disaster because you'd have either people who are like really good at working alone and then mm-hmm. would like turn out great work. Um, or you'd have, but you know, or you'd have a group, but that would create a great project. But then you'd have people who would try to work alone. And then the realities of they'd be like, I don't have group work, haha. Um, but then the realities of work, group work hit, and then suddenly they're producing something that's not that great because they're trying yeah. Yeah. So much on their own. So I said, mm-hmm. No, I'm mandating group work. You're all working in groups this semester. Um, this was met with a lot of anxiety, and mm. like I told them the semester before, I I kind of warned people, and I I knew I was vaguely aware that there was like hushed whispers of like <laughs> like no Captain. yeah um so i did it and i i expected there to be better divide and conquer for the project which there was like i think this is um i i think some of the output this semester is like the best we've had um you know consistently like across the whole class um but at the same time I thought that the because like sometimes you'd get ones that were fine capstones, but the capstones and this goes into that, like, how do you balance the creative and the and the critical with make a thing? Um, Yeah, I got way fewer make a thing capstones than I've ever got because um, and this is something that like I was talking with our architecture faculty and they have this problem too where they'll have a capstone or a graduate thesis and they'll be like i found a site i want to build a building on it and they're like why what what's the what are you exploring with this design yeah right and and that's like what we had to do um you know when i was in school and that's what i i try to hope for with our capstones is like i want you I, i make them write a paper because i don't want them to just make a thing i want them to like think critically about what the thing is. So we had one yeah. project that was like a Banjo-Kazooie-esque collectathon platformer. Sure. But they studied reward systems oh. in 
games and mm -hmm. that was like their paper and then they embodied it in a collectathon. I was like, okay, that's really cool. Um, Very cool. But so all the people that really just wanted to like, I, I want to prove that I'm a great environmental artist, you know, that provided a place for them because they were like, well, I'm not as skilled in this area, but I can join so-and-so's project. And, you know, that really added value to that project because, you know, you don't run into what I used to see, especially in like the serious games area where you'd get somebody um, kind of make up a project that like as was terrible as a game, terrible as a piece of computer software, but like had a yeah. lot of, had like an essay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> like stapled. To mm -hmm. it. Um, and, you know, that that basically got rid of all those like everybody had a so that was like a nice fun outcome of it, which was which is wonderful. Um, it, it gave everybody kind of like a place to live in the project. Right. And I mean, so you iterated off of, you know, your, your initial curriculum design. Um, <laughs> this is the, the latest play test. And <laughs> yeah, 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 it is. It is. Yeah, we've been re remarking a lot lately as to like anything, any system to do anything is suddenly something's very familiar with how games yeah. are made. Yeah. The iteration, yeah. testing, all of that stuff. I mean, and you're literally talking about it here with with <laughs> with, yeah. with learning. Oh, that's But what's interesting about the way that you 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 set a structure that was in some ways an arbitrary choice. You it was the right choice and you made it for good reasons, but the choice itself was arbitrary. We have to do group work. And it, it, you could, lots of arguments could be made for what about this case or that case or this particular person. But because of that, you gave people a box to play in and they could find all the corners yeah. and you, you, you remo remove the burden of one more choice from them. And so mm -hmm. it, it seems like it allowed them to, to, do, to do the stuff in the course they, that they were there for and not the stuff they weren't there for. Right. And I think that's, that's an interesting thing about constraints that does also apply to games is just is to you know you don't you don't need to you know sometimes you just need to like draw a circle and play inside right you know well and and i have a i have another course called game prototyping that is about constraints and and i mm -hmm. have a bunch of students that are like it's structured so it's one of the first classes they can take in game development and um at least now it is uh, I also, this is, it's based on a course that I taught at another university where it was the first game development course that they took. And okay. I'd had students ask me like, well, yeah, but can we just like make a game the whole semester? And because it's like three small projects. So they're like, mm. well, what if we just want to make like a game the whole time and really get into the nitty gritty of it? And I'm like, no, because you're going to make your dream. And you're going to yeah. Yeah. be disappointed when it's hard. And you're yeah. gonna quit, or you're gonna feel yeah. bad, and it's gonna yeah. be yeah. tough. So these are small, disposable projects that are going to like actually squeeze some creativity out of you, and may actually become really cool stuff. Mm -hmm. And we've had mm -hmm. um, there was one assignment that I gave during the pandemic actually, um, because so like we couldn't do tabletop because we couldn't get together and I didn't want them to have to learn another piece of software. So I stayed away from tabletop simulator because um, my usual tabletop assignment is like two weeks. It's like you got to make it quick. Um, yeah. And so like it wouldn't have worked with tabletop simulator. 
Sure. Um, that makes so sense. I, yeah, I did like a twine game for that first one. And then I did uh, a GB studio game for the second one. But the GB studio game was another one of those like emergent outcomes. Um, kind of hilariously, the students like dropped all pretensions, all stuff that they usually were hung up on in games. And like, I, I based this on a, on a um, prompt I saw on the GB studio central uh, news site, which is like a community news site for the GB studio. If people don't know, GB studio is a game engine that lets you make game boy games, but with like a no coding interface. Yeah. I'm making a game in it right now. Um, oh, that's cool. Side project. Yeah. Called uh, Kudzu. It's actually going to be published by mega cat studios. They're going to do a Kickstarter oh, nice. sometime this summer. Uh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so GB Studio, they can make Game Boy games, no coding interface, really nice, very tiny projects just by default. And uh, the prompt was based on like, go to the store and run an errand. That was the point. Yeah. They okay. came up with the most lovely, wacky solutions to this mm-hmm. that were more creative than when you handed them unreal yeah mm-hmm. because yeah because they weren't hung up on like i gotta make this perfect 3d character model they were like right oh what if it was three dogs in a trench coat trying to get to the pet food aisle yeah <laughs> what if <laughs> like, game i've ever seen you make those are neat like when you give them some ultra because you're working with the constraint of a game boy like there's four shades yeah. of gray mm-hmm. or green right 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 and mm-hmm. and you know it was like the older version of the engine too. So you can only have like 25 frames of animation in an entire scene and very limited amount of background tiles. And they kind of like really hated that pressure at first, but then we're like, Oh, I can just make something super tiny and simple. Exactly. Yeah. It's a good way to calibrate, to calibrate their expectations and actually get them to focus on what the soul of the game is. Okay, so this is this is you know we normally do a call to action. We ask uh, listeners to you know do a thing. We don't ask much people. We really don't. We, we don't. really don't. Just one thing every week. That is kind of a lot. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing we're going to ask you to do is follow us on Twitter um, at Nice Games Club. And the reason I'm going to say that is because Dale, you know, tweets awesome things, and she's cool. She's great. But she also retweets news that is relevant to the games industry today. Um, yeah, it's a good way to be in the know. Yes, yeah, and I don't mean that cynically. Yeah, <laughs> it absolutely is. On there right now is a tweet um, from from Jason Schreier, who is a you know a reporter. Yeah, he's talking about the um, Raven Studios um, unionization news. Um, they were they committed a vote today, um, and they uh, were successful. That's great. So yeah. when I got out of bed this morning, yes. I saw the thing the the vote was going to happen today. Mm-hmm. And that all signs were that it was going to go forward. But then I missed the news. Um, yeah. <laughs> until, until I got it from this retweet. So. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's great. It really is a watershed moment. Yes. Um, this is huge. Yeah. So we're you're, you know, shoving that news into this call to action to join our Twitter. <laughs> um, yes. Uh, follow us at Nice Games Club. And congratulations to unionization.
you know, I've had game projects that I've spent like years on as, you know, the the classic like, hey, we just started out, and we overscoped and now we're like mid career and somehow we're still working on this. But thankfully, we worked on other stuff. So this isn't. Yeah, you know, we had one of the like every every indie dev has like something that they spent way too long on, and then it either doesn't ship or is one of those like uh, owl boy stories or something like that. Um, yeah, which they finally shipped owl boy. Like, I, I mm-hmm. amazing. Um, but you get that like ten year old game story. Um, yeah, and you know, I had a game that I made once in three months about going back to that like interactions of art and and games um mm-hmm. about like abstract art and you were a triangle and you had to fight a circle and that was the game and it was just like 25 levels of fighting circles and it's had the that was like one of the most popular games for a while that i ever made <laughs> <laughs> because like i just i just put it out and people were like wow yeah. um so it's the it's those little things that you don't think are going to hit pe- with people that are like no that's that's the better idea well and, and some of that is like overthinking it in in a lot of ways i think like i, I mean i'm very much guilty of this myself uh where i'll like sit and sit with a design for a long period of time before i actually put pen to paper um and then you put pen to paper and like oh this isn't quite as good as you thought it would be and then you make some changes and stuff and it's not quite the idea you've vi- envisioned and so it feels a little disappointing. And and also, you know, you're not putting in well, you're thinking about all of these things and not actually doing the work to get people to notice it. People aren't noticing it. So like no one plays it. <laughs> right. Um, so I, I think it's really what what I'm hearing from a lot of what you're saying here is that you're really giving your students real life advice, real life understanding on how making how to be successful making games. And not just like like you know, like everybody wants to make their darling game or whatever right away from jump their MMO or what have you. Um, but I, I, I appreciate that. Like, you know, you're telling students that, no, if you do, if you do that, it's going to be really difficult. You're going to have a hard time and it's just not going to work out. So you need to make some small games first, get an understanding of what it takes to make a game, actually complete some games yeah. and then get then go back to your darling and understand yeah. the process that's necessary to make that. Yeah. That's really cool. Then if you... St- if you still want to make it. Right. Yes, if you still yeah. want to make it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Part of what happens on a learning journey is these moments of reflection. And you could argue that it's the moments of reflection that actually, you know, are the biggest contributor to the learning. You yeah. can have your goal. Someone can give you a goal that you work towards. You can have the experience of working towards it and learning the things along the way. But it doesn't really solidify in your brain until you have some time to reflect on it and and start to adjust what you're bringing to that space, right? So I, I think it it makes a lot of sense to chunk it up in small pieces the way that you've described, Chris, um, partly because you're like on an academic schedule, so you don't have unlimited time. Right. Um, second, because you have a lot to cover, right? And you need to, you need to make sure that you get through things and you give these experiences to the students who are going through it. Um, but also because when you're, when you come to the end of a project, you naturally have this nice moment of reflection. And I think that's, um, based on what you described, it's like really good opportunity for people to think about what went well, what didn't go well, what insights they came away with, you know, having to make a Game Boy game about dogs in a trench coat, you know, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then for you to actually coach them on those things too, right? I imagine that you have some really interesting conversations where you might ask some open-ended questions about yeah. what your students learned making 
trench coat dog. Well, and and one of the things that I try to do is like they always have to they don't just turn in their assignments on Canvas and like that's it. It goes into the black box and then never shall it be there again. It it is very much like you know, you have to turn it in to me by posting it on itch and you don't have to make it public because I can't legally make you do that. Uh, <laughs> um but like just send me the link even if it's private and just build an itch page you know and it has to have like this many screenshots and it has to have 30 seconds of gameplay video i don't care if it's a cut trailer it just has to be something it has to have a description with these elements it has to have your back of the box bullet points etc cetera, etc cetera. and then like you said that's your moment of reflection but that's that's also the moment of being like how do you talk about your game um how do you sell your game how do you tell an audience about your game? Um, you know, how do you think critically about your game? And when you think about like that engagement and that motivation aspect of learning, if you, like you said, if you ground everything in, this is the job you're going to do. Like this is the drill. Every time you make a game, you're going to think of these things and you're going to post and, you know, all this other stuff, even if it's a game jam game, you don't intend on making a ton of money on, or you don't think anybody's going to care to buy or something like that. You just like post it and then it's a real project in your portfolio. Um, mm -hmm. But that suddenly makes it come alive for them. And they realize, okay, this is real. This is, but I can do it now. I don't have to go wait to like let Activision give me permission to do it. And right. That's when people really are like, aha. Yeah. Yeah. What I'm hearing a lot of the, there's the learn by doing. Mm -hmm. And like when we made Widget Satchel, yeah. there was a big reason for that project was, uh, the, was to learn things by doing it. Yeah. But the doing it was the most important part mm -hmm. right. because the learning was vital to it, but the doing is what mattered. It, yeah. it was a game we wanted to release and had hopes for in the marketplace. But what you're describing is pretty much the opposite. It's learning by doing, and the doing is vital to the learning, but the learning is the important part. The, 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 the doing has to get done, but it can't, I mean, like you say, you don't want them to be too precious. You don't want them to map out a five-year plan because the game would be better if we spent another year on it. Mm -hmm. it you have to do it, and so you can learn it. And the question I have is, how do you, you you've got to have students who fight you on that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and how do you, how do you keep them from, I mean, one, you can tell them this is the way it is. And I think I suspect people will fall in line and learn to understand it, but how do you prevent students who, who have a harder time with that concept? How do you prevent them from, from giving it less of than their all or not actually taking all the lessons they need to, because they've been demotivated perhaps by that. They really wanted to get in there and maybe not make their dream project, but they didn't want to just work for three weeks on something. I um, no, because you do have people. I run into it. I feel less with that. They want to make their dream project. And mm -hmm. uh, well, some of these behaviors I don't I'm not always firsthand privy to because I think this does play out in groups. Um, I do make sure to have group evaluations where they evaluate both themselves and their peers um, so that I can have those windows into things and, and take things into account 
so that, you know, it's not just like, you know, the, the worry with group work is always like the person that doesn't actually do anything is going to get the same grade because I grade the group. You know, this lets me avoid that yeah, to a degree. Yeah. And I have heard anecdotal stories where somebody will just be like, I'm not inspired by this. It's like, mm. um, mm. You know. Uh, <laughs> well, perhaps the perhaps that's not important right now. Well, yeah. And where it comes down to, like, I will say this, I have a lot of I feel like it's harder to motivate people for my games for education course because we are not a program mm-hmm. that is explicitly that was explicitly formed to be a serious games course. Um, sure. Yeah, yeah. And, and you get two dynamics here. One I think is less useful, but is important to bring up to students, which is like, well, uh, you know, I I have friends in the industry that worked on God of War, and then Bratz. Right after, mm-hmm. right? Like, yeah. that's, mm-hmm. you don't, you don't control what project you're put on at your studio. Yeah. It's tough. Um, and, but at the same time, I think it's also like, okay, so if your dream project is this big project, you know, we have mechanisms in the program to be able to, I guess, target, like point them at. So we can be like, okay, so if your big project is this project, um, maybe that's your capstone. So how are the classes that you're taking in the intervening time going to help you learn skills that'll help you be ready? Mm. Like, just like you said, you know, when you get enough skills to, to the point where you can make that big game, do you even want to still make the big game? And yeah. if you do, now you've learned the production, the project management, the time management, the scope management, um, you know, the visual skills. Cause like, I remember the first time I tried to model like an original character I came up with, you know, an OC, uh, in, <laughs> it was a horrible disaster. And that's cause like I had gotten 3d studio max, like two weeks beforehand. Um, yeah. you know, but now I could probably do it easily but i don't even know if i want to make that game anymore um right 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 right. um but you know it's like you can kind of contextualize it for them because it is like you know look i don't want you to end up feeling disappointed by your dream game um so just get on this ride with us and we'll we'll get you there Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and at the very least, like it could be something that you start in. I mean, this is the other thing I try to explain to them too. And, and this gets into like the getting a job into the industry thing, which is that, um, your, the expectations of portfolio pieces are never that they are going to be just the class project because you mentioned it before. Class projects are a limited scope time. They, there are other priorities happening in a class project. Um, so all class projects really are just the foundation of portfolio pieces. It's like you're yeah. going to take this thing and you're going to work on it for like three more months and have the thing, you know, like the scene, the model, the character, you know, whatever. I appreciate a lot of this because I, like I said, I, I, I think a lot of those real world skills to make and, and, and on how making a game is just so vital. It's so important. And I think that a lot of times, when you when you're outside of 
academia, when you're outside of, you know, an actual class that teaches you these kinds of things, you learn them the hard way. And it's a much harder lesson to learn as a result, because sometimes you put like, you know, financial stake in the game and it makes it, you know, (laughs) more harmful in some ways. This gets into a question that you have on your script that I'm going to bring up, which I actually do it. Yeah. No, it's a really good question, and I think it's mm. not talked enough about, which is what are the differences between college and other learning programs like boot camps and stuff? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a discussion um, in games, in the game industry, about game schools. And like I mentioned, that there is this kind of weird you know, relationship between game schools and the industry where people in the industry right. don't think game schools help that much. Um, and, and, you know, sometimes you'll hear like, well, if you want to be a programmer, go get a computer science degree. If you want to be the, you know, uh, one of these areas, go get the degree that specializes in that. And that puts pressure on people like me, um, to justify our own existence. Um, (laughs) but I think it's a good thing. Um, because like, you know, what is the difference between, and I have to do this all the time. Like, and this is kind of how I get around this, you know, when students say, but I really just care about learning Maya or something like that. Right. Well, I, I tell them like, could you could have just gone on YouTube. You could have just yeah. taken a <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Udemy course or like you said, a boot camp or something like that. So what do these schools get you? Um, they get you this crit they they get you like the critical thinking about the thing in particular and because we're working in games we can specially can focus the critical thinking on games because if you're in another school program that does not focus on games you usually have to like kind of work around their understanding and system of games and then right you know you're not getting the the game feedback you might need to get for that project sure you're getting like hopefully uh, the experience of people who are doing it for real, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is why I develop in the industry. You know, I had a, a, I mean, I was developing the, this tabletop game. I I developed, I uh, published a tabletop game a few years ago called La Mancha, which was, again, research is, you know, intersections between games and culture. Um, It was, you know, Don Quixote, um, tabletop party game that's really a role-playing game in disguise where you pretend to be Don Quixote. Uh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, you know, and it was a successful Kickstarter and and I had it printed by like an actual production company and, and things like that. And um, I was developing it, but I had a student that was like, well, how do I do all that? And I was like, I don't know. I can't tell you. Um, I'm sorry. I've never experienced that. But then that gave me some motivation to then turn around and be like, what if I did have it printed by one of these companies? So, you know, I kind of made mm-hmm. that how I budgeted for the Kickstarter. And now I know I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, hey, who wants to learn about managing overseas shipping? Um, <laughs> you know, I never thought that was going to be a relevant skill. Um, yeah. So you get that experience. And like same thing with with, you know, my current project, Little Nemo and the Nightmare Fiends. Um, that is a big commercial game and we did a big Kickstarter for it that was successful. But, you know, I have all kinds of, of insights into like, 
doing a Kickstarter on like almost no marketing budget, (laughs) (laughs) but then also creating a game with like visually novel art style because it's based on a a comic strip from 1905 and we're trying Mm. to make it look like the comic strip. Um, And, you know, what what's it like doing old school 2D animation in a game with that kind of old school look and, and integrating these elements again? more research i'm doing i actually <laughs> spent today writing a part of beginning of a paper about it um mm-hmm. but by doing that you know i i check off all the research boxes there and the creative work boxes with things like this um but then also i have these industry experiences then i can go in the classroom that can be like let me tell you what it's like running a kickstarter let me tell you what it's like publishing a tabletop game or you know a commercial indie game or a game boy game Um, and you know, so you get that. And then frankly, this is going to sound like a, like a cop-out, but it's not, it's probably one of the most important things you get when you do one of these programs, you get time, you are buying Mm -hmm. time, um, time to make weird stuff, time to screw up time to like Mm -hmm. make that game project that falls apart but you didn't just tank your studio, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Out of business. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or, yeah. And, and Yeah, we talked last week a lot. Or, yeah. <laughs> we talked last week a lot that time and space. Network, yeah. Which starts with your fellow classmates because mm-hmm. you don't know who's going to get the, the Blizzard job. You don't know who's going right. to get, who's going to, you know, work in some place where you're, you know, you'll have been, oh, we need somebody to do this. And then they'll think back to you because you were a great group member and nobody's ever a bad group member, right? Uh, <laughs> um, they'll think back to you. Oh, man, remember that person that was like an awesome group member that was really talented in this area? Let's call them up. Yeah, I'm not saying that that always happens. That That's not a thing that normally does happen. But, you know, you, you still have that networking connection. Um, yeah. You know, and, and that that is very valuable. So those are the things you can get in this kind of environment um, sure. that you don't get if you are doing something else. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of what I'm hearing from that is that like boot camps are very directed they're, they're for a specific purpose and that purpose is to get a job in the industry. Right. Yeah. Um, but in academia, you get the opportunity to experiment and explore and understand and critically think more broadly about video games in a way that a boot camp does not have the time or purpose for. Um, and, yeah. and it goes but, into, like you just said experiment too. Um, yeah. There are not enough big publisher or big studio jobs out there for all the graduates of all the 500 some schools in the United right. States alone putting out, like they every studio would have to have 70 openings i I actually did the math on this one time they'd have to have like some ridiculous (laughs) amount of openings uh, open at all times Mm. in order to accommodate everybody and um you know the experimentation like being exposed to these other jobs being exposed to like well did you know that there's this sector called serious games that does this these trainings and simulations and stuff like that or yeah or that um, did you know that your skills in scripting could also be used in this sector? Like we're very upfront with the fact that not all of you are going to get a big studio job or some of you might get a job in something else for a few years and then 
you end up in the studio job because you kept trying. Um, you know, we're kind of, we're, we're not going to, I don't like to tell people right up front, you're going to go get this big job at a game studio you've heard of uh, yeah. right out of school. But I, but I think that is a better way to prepare students for a long-term career and, and yeah. like a sustainable career with this skill set, rather than just thinking like, Oh, I got a useless degree because I didn't get, you know, hired by so-and-so right away. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I think when you talk about like that compared to something more uh, like, like a boot camp, mm. it's, it's not that, I mean, certainly it costs more, takes more of your time and it does literally deliver more to you. Yeah. A college program does, but it, 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 a boot camp will get you something specific and actionable. Right. Yeah. And, and so there's, there's something really valuable about that. Right. Yeah. So you can't, you can't, so I, I suspect a lot of students coming out of a degree program might feel a little bit like they're missing some of the things they would have gotten from them a little more direct. Sure. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of like, you know, all paths are valid, I guess. Yeah. Um, but but that, that depth is interesting. But yeah, people do need to prepare for the reality that comes from that, which is that it isn't isn't as much a direct line to a junior position somewhere. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, because cause you come out of it a much more maybe interesting and you're you're more of a constellation than a you know a stamped uh you know piece of sheet metal at the end so, i mean to i don't mean to be disparaging but and that's the strength of, yeah. of, of well, boot camps is reliability yeah. right yeah. um and yeah. so like anything like steven you're talking about like when you're on your own when you're an indie yes you you put a lot of your investment into it in terms of money right. when you're working on a project but but chris you you said it time mm -hmm. and yeah. time and space and it, it's something that it is really hard when you're to learn in your own. You, 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 you start a project and you say, the point of this is that I'm going to figure, I'm going to learn some stuff. I don't care if it doesn't sell well, but then eventually you start to care if it sells well. And then you suddenly realize, wait a minute, I should have spent the last six months thinking differently because my goals are now different. Mm. And like, that is just such a murky place to be in a weird road to travel. Yes. And a lot of us self-taught indies have had to do right. to get something that we could have gotten a lot faster and with more actual experiences in a, a program, yeah. which again, isn't to say that that's the right path for everybody either. Mm -hmm. Like I look back in my life and I probably value my English and media studies degree more than I would have a game design degree, mm. but I didn't get into game design for another decade after yeah. I graduated college. So, you know, that's the cost. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And, and again, like, I feel like people's paths into, into this industry are weird. Like, Yes. <laughs> I went architecture, but then also went through like a back door through a, a, a you know, school with a 1-800 number. <laughs> like, I know people that worked at, like, I, I have a very good, I have, well, more friends from the uh, GDC Conference Associate Program. Like, one worked in cybersecurity for 10 years and now is at like a big studio. One worked at, um, you know, a, I'm trying not to specify like which places these people have worked. Um, yeah. Yeah. Worked for a big department store, like in their corporate um, body, and now has like a job at a very well-known tabletop game <laughs> studio. And like, right. yeah. you know, then these people worked in their old jobs for like 10 years, but then went to GTD mm -hmm. and networked and got to know people and then kind of did stuff on the side and eventually, you know, so... You know, yeah, careers in this industry are weird. 
Um, <laughs> yeah. I tell my students, I'm like, no, this isn't like, you know, if I had stayed in architecture, I could have just like come back to Ohio and got a, a job at the local firm. And that would have been it. Mm. Like, done. But yeah. that, that doesn't exist here yet. Knock on wood. <laughs> Well, and it speaks to how unique game development is as a, di- as a discipline. When you describe your, your uh, the things that you need to do in the real world to bring to your students, that's one degree of separation, whereas most academic disciplines benefit from many degrees of separation. Yeah. Like I was trained by the tenured professor before me, and I will now train the next professor. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and that, is, that is a good way to, you know, for, for the, the, the humanities to progress, you know, through history. Yeah. Like, but you can't, game development doesn't work that way because it is in a lot of ways a trade and a set of skills yeah. and a bunch of cross, uh, cross-disciplinary uh, pursuits. And so it is, yeah, you can't design one way to do it because you, you Chris, you could train a TA to do what you do and maybe you could get, a, that person could get away with being almost as good as you, but it probably couldn't go one more generation past that, <laughs> right? Without 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 a, mo- a further infusion of real experience. Yeah, let's bring it kind of full circle a little bit. This is why architecture has been so good for game development in terms of like disciplinary <laughs> knowledge, because at the end of the day, like architectural theory is about making a building that somebody's yeah. gonna yeah. be inside. Um, right yeah and but just you know how a person's going to perceive that building um games are the same way i mean there's like game studies theory that is not at all about building the thing um i'm really bad at writing that theory terrible at it Um, yeah but you know like i really like my applied theory yeah. Well, what you're saying is it's both a simpler discipline than it seems and a much more complicated one than it seems. Uh, so, Chris, what you just said was amazing. Where can people who listen to our show find other amazing things that you say? Okay. So, um, and I, I've kept mentioning it, um, but my current big, big project, which um, we would love the internet to... to um, come and love along with us is a game called little nemo and the nightmare fiends it is a uh 2d hand animated uh metroidvania ish platformer yes um Mm. where you are now if this name sounds familiar to people um they may remember the nes game little nemo the dream master uh from the nes Mm. and uh that that it is based on that property. The original characters are in the public domain because uh, they're mm. it's from a comic from 1905, and right. we are, um, you know, there there are a few Little Nemo games uh, out there because you know public domain, but ours is the one. Uh, it's at littlenemogame.com. Uh, it's still in development, but uh, ours is actually meant to like examine the comic strip uh by recreating the art uh creating the characters the guy who created little nemo was like a pioneer of animation so we're trying to use like techniques from animators that came after him on his work um that's cool we are 
we're pretty sure the first animators since this guy in like 1905, you know, 1910, 11, when he's animating these characters um, to actually like animate them either at all, like some of them are just from his comics and then, or some of them have not been touched since the Windsor McKay. That's the, that's the yeah. animator mm-hmm. uh, name. Um, so, wow. Yeah. It's, it's been a really fun project. You know, you're talking about like dream projects. It's kind of my dream project of sorts, pun semi-intended. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I mean, that's the big one. Um, and then I had mentioned, uh, so please go check out little Nemo game.com. Um, we've got it. I should put our discord on our link tree, um, but we've got a discord um, you can pre-order it at Backerkit, and we've got some other fun things coming soon. We've got a demo coming soon. Um, if anybody's going to be at GDEC slash Origins in Columbus, Ohio, I don't know when this episode's coming out, but um, June 9th, that's going to be um, that. It's going to be there, so go check it out. Um, but. Uh, you know, and then my other project, uh, like I mentioned, is Kudzu. Uh, it's a Game Boy game. Uh, it's going to be published by Mega Cat Studios, and that should be. Uh, it's on my itch page right now, which is Pie for Breakfast uh, Studios. That's my that's my studio's name is Pie for Breakfast. Um, but it has an itch page, so you can go check it out there. Um, but the cartridge version will be coming to Kickstarter soon. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. I I what I literally love about the Nemo project is that as a as an as a public domain source material, you didn't just pilfer it and make a thing and put your own spin on it. You're in you're in conversation with that original work. Yeah. Which is a really interesting way of of interacting with that. I, I we could uh, we have to stop the show, but we really could talk for another hour <laughs> on on that uh, on on the the work you're doing with that. It's yeah. so fascinating to me. So I mean, for that alone, it's worth a, it's worth a look. There's a lot of creative what ifs that mm-hmm. are so fun. Well, and again, like McKay was deeply influenced by contemporary architecture of his time, but from like a specific set of people yeah specific surroundings and i'm sitting there i'm like but what if he knew about antoni gaudi over in spain (laughs) so it's like where his thing looks like you know uh daniel burnham uh the the you know 1893 chicago world's fair a lot of midwest (laughs) things going on right now um (laughs) what if he also looked at these things and so we've just had a lot of fun with it or like what if you know like let's incorporate the work of artists who were inspired by mckay including like mobius the famous french um comics artist so that that's been a lot of fun like you said being in conversation closely with it um i i think like frank cefaldi called us one of the best uses of public domain i just i made me so That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topic, go to our website, NiceGames.club. Visit us on Twitter at NiceGamesClub, where Dale tweets about game dev resources and the cutest baby animal. What is the cutest baby animal? I'm going to have to go to Twitter and find out. Go on the Twitter. We like hearing from you, so tweet back, especially if you're tweeting back baby animals. Or email us, contact at NiceGames.club. 
Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord and say hello. Next week, we'll be looking at something. We're not sure yet, but it'll be cool and informative. That's it for this week. So until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. <laughs>